Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast. This is episode 87, and my guest is none other than Amanda O'Callaghan of The Union Studio. <laughs> Amanda O'Callaghan of The Union Studio, which is in New York and in the Hudson Valley. Uh, yeah, we, we call ourselves the uh, New York State Wedding Planning Firm based in New York City, but we have a pretty even split between New York City weddings and then Hudson Valley, Catskills, Adirondacks. The Union Studio is not an actual studio. It's not a building. Right. It's it's more of an idea. Uh, I'm the daughter of uh, an artist and I'm a former vocalist, musician on a very extended hiatus. And the studio has always been a place where Creation has happened for me, where I have thought about creating ideas, making things, and I've always been just so attracted to the word studio. I'm a former dancer. Dance studio, yeah. yeah. So and while there's no physical building yet, it is the emotional house that I have built to encompass the wedding planning firm. And the Union Studio is actually not the first iteration of, of a planning company. It, it is actually a, a rebrand of by Amanda Event Studio, which happened so by surprise. I actually was running a venue and a catering facility in New York City for quite a while, the Housing Works Bookstore. And I had gotten that program to the point where it could run on itself. So uh, why not fill every extra hour and day in my week and start a side business of, of coordination. And how that happened was we had a couple who was being covered by Martha Stewart. And there's a couple different ways you can be covered by Martha Stewart magazine is to after the wedding, you can submit the wedding and, and see if they'll perchance even answer your email and say, thank you for your submission. Very rarely do you ever hear back, but this was the team was coming. The bride had a connection at Martha Stewart Magazine. They chose to full-on cover this event. Martha Stewart had two rules, is that event had to have a day of coordinator, and then that day of coordinator had to have a name. <laughs> so the first step was, do you know any day of coordinators? And I, you know, on the phone was saying, well, I can do it. Not a problem. Not a problem. Because I knew I had a team that could handle the venue and the catering. And so we checked that box and we agreed that that would be a great idea. And then my phone rang a couple of days later and it was so-and-so from Martha Stewart's team and they needed to know what the business name was of the day of coordinator. And it just flew out of my mouth by Amanda Event Studio. And the man on the phone said, okay, great. Sounds great. They were actually the ones who printed it by Amanda with like one word. Things start to snowball and you start to collect more clients. I had to become an actual legal entity. And by Amanda was pretty successful for about six to seven years while I still had a full-time job. Hence the definition of working seven days a week. Yeah, I was single, probably powered totally on juice generation kale smoothies and then margaritas at night. <laughs> I, <laughs> it was mid twenties and, you know, I would do my last venue showing about five o'clock, head on over to Puck Fair, may it rest in peace, one of the best bars ever in New York City. It was right across the street from our office on Crosby Street, just south of Houston. Is this near the Puck building? Yeah, it's right, right next to the okay. Puck building. 
But they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. They knocked Buck <laughs> Fair down, I don't know, maybe five years ago right. and put up this huge, nondescript, uncharacteristic high rise. And that's the sad, sad story of Crosby Street in Houston, down in Soho in New York City. What was your title? I was the director of events at the Housing Works Bookstore and the Works Catering. I was brought on there in 2009 when there was maybe two weddings a month, if that, with like wire chafing racks and half the tables had tablecloths because somebody forgot to order them. Oh, nice. When I came on, I wanted to shadow a couple of their weddings just to see what, what I was working with. And I, I was pretty mortified about what I saw, but because they didn't have any, but it was a nonprofit. They, it was completely run by volunteers. And, yeah. and that's not to say anything untoward towards the volunteer run organization. They did what they could, but bringing on a, an event professional, we were able to price accordingly and have tablecloths that went all the way down to the ground and pretty chafing dishes and a competitive farm to table menu. So that was my full-time job. I lived and breathed that job for from 2009 to about 2016 when I made the full leap into my planning company. That job was my introduction into the New York City wedding market. So go back to the Martha Stewart one. Someone was getting married and using Housing Works. Yeah, they were hosting their event at Housing Works. Okay. Yeah. So I might say it was a conflict of interest to have had a day of coordinator from the venue and the catering company that they were working. Some might say. Some might say. I said, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) That was really, you know, I saw the opportunity and I took it. The spread wasn't about me in Martha Stewart's wedding at all. I had a little tiny credit in the back of the magazine. You weren't even written in the editorial part? No, because I was a day of coordinator. It was about, you know, what the bride and groom chose to do. And, you know, very rarely does a planner actually get mentioned unless they're a full on planner. Nor does a band. Right. Which always shocked me, like the first bunch of times, because yeah. I do a lot of high profile events. And thinking, do the people who get mentioned have a PR director or something? Mm-hmm. Oh, they do. Yeah. There is definitely a huge PR element to what we do. Yeah. That's definitely on the goal sheet for me one day. But generally, again, with the two types of, of coverage, especially with Martha Stewart, whether the team comes in and they have they have a lot of editorial control over yeah. that event. Right? And they'll bring in their own photographers and everything? They bring in their own photographer. For that one, they brought in their own florist. We had a we had a beautiful dessert table that had La Dorie macaroons and Lady M millicrepe and all, all sorts of beautiful decadent desserts. And it was set up and it looked beautiful in the space. And it was a bookstore. So there's books and spiral staircases, but they even go as far to set that up again in studio and take shots of it the day after just to be sure that they capture it correctly. It's, um, it's, it's quite the game out there with PR and getting mentioned, Doug. Yeah, but that's nice that your first shot out of the box was covered by Martha Stewart. Yeah. We were talking about the future of weddings being, not the, necessarily the future of weddings. There's always going to be people who want to get the Metropolitan Club and the Pierre Hotel and the Plaza and all mm-hmm. the, these great venues in New York. But that the Hudson Valley is really, for the foreseeable future, the new frontier. And has been for about a, two years. Yeah, I started getting my feet wet in the Hudson Valley in about 
2016. And even before the pandemic, it, it was becoming so popular, not even because of barns, but these estates, people buying estates and houses and turning them into tented event properties. You know, weddings are weekends now. It's not necessarily a wedding day anymore. Checking in on Thursday to this estate or this property that you've rented, having everybody over to the property for a rehearsal dinner, a welcome party on Friday night, wake up, getting ready in this beautiful historic farmhouse, and then walking down a hill into a tent or a barn or, or, or warehouse and hosting. I really see such a huge trend, again, even before the pandemic of, of city folk running to the city hills. Folk. City folk running to the hills. And now I have so much hope that we will return to some sense of normalcy in regards to being able to host um, wherever we want, wherever we want, when we want, and with the amount of people that we want. I think family style and buffet is probably a while out still, but uh, can we discuss that for a second? Yeah, I'd be happy to discuss, especially family style. All right. The format of a four hour party mm -hmm. would be enter dancing, introduce the bride and groom, mm -hmm. first dance, killer dance set. Yeah. I agree. So the first half hour is dancing. You've sat for an hour of the ceremony, you stood around for an hour of the cocktail hour. Let's get rocking. Then you sit down for the first course, maybe a toast or two, max 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Band gets back, everybody back up. Mm -hmm. Dinner. Mm -hmm. The dinner is the longest break, so maybe that's 25 minutes, half hour at the most. Huge dance set until the cake cutting, dessert served, which is no more than a five-minute break, six-minute break, get everybody back dancing again. When you do a family style or a buffet, you can't be blasting music. Half of the people are on the dance floor and you're and having a great time, and half of the people are in line waiting for their food. Right. So it makes it a little awkward. I have feelings about it from a different angle, but the most important thing is that you're hosting with a catering crew that can move these buffets or this family style service through. Buffets, as long as it's done well, I think that that's a little more manageable. See, that, that never occurred to me that there's levels of competence in running a buffet. I just figured a buffet is a buffet. No, there's many different ways to come at a buffet. A, a wedding of 150 guests should not be serviced out of five chafers only. There should be at least two buffets, if not three, and those buffets possibly should be double-lined. Oh, wow. So people go through. It should not take 40, 50 minutes for people to go through a buffet. Obviously, buffet is, is usually a budget choice as opposed to a style choice, but I try and talk my clients through that. Family style. I have a lot of clients who do family style. What a lot of people don't realize about family style is how costly it is. Can you explain the difference between family style and buffet? Right. Family style is platters, bowls, the proteins, the side dishes are all being placed on the table. Like I used to every Sunday <laughs> go to this wonderful Italian woman's house mm -hmm. and she would make dinner for like 40 for yeah. 10 of us. This huge, almost like a barn table in the middle of this beautiful suburban mm -hmm. home. And But her kitchen was like the place to hang. Whenever I think of family style, I think of, you know, Frame <laughs> well, if she, so here's the difference. If she put the food on the 
counter and said, okay, go make your plate and then go sit down. That's okay. If you sat at the table and you put the bowls on the table and then you were to scoop and serve yourself, that's a family style. And as a planner who's monitoring budget, you have to have more food, which you do also with buffet because people, you can't say, I'm sorry, you can only go up to the buffet once. And you can't tell Uncle Nick, I'm sorry, you can only take two pieces of chicken, not the six that you did. You can't, when you do family style, you can't do that. You also, you know, let's say you have 10 tables. Each one of those tables needs six set of platters. Or 10 tables of 12? Yeah, tables, tables of 10, 12, let's say normal 66 or 72 inch round. See, those are those terms that I want the podcast to address, mm -hmm. honestly. Those terms that I hear all the time, you mm -hmm. live by, 72 inch round, 60 inch round. Could you just give us a primer on those terms and yeah. what they mean? Well, uh, I mean, obviously the round tables. When, you, when you're having a seated plated dinner, the most common size tables that you're going to see are 60 inch, 66 and 72. The rule of thumb is that 60 inch can fit eight to 10, 66, nine to 11, and a 72, 10 to 12. I like to err on the side of the lower amount on each table. When you have family style, you actually have to go to the lower amount because you need room for the platters and the bowls. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And then, you know, there's always, there's rectangle tables as well. Width of 24, <laughs> right. 30, 36, and 42, and lengths from six feet to eight feet. You know, at six feet, you're going to fit six people without heads or eight people with heads, but that would be very uncomfortable. So there's your little crash course in banquet tables. 60, 66, mm -hmm. and 72. And air on the smaller number. If you for can. The Sometimes the venue is so small that you have to fit you know, 12 at, at each 72. But if, if you can, you want to give people some elbow room and take into consideration what you're serving and what your centerpieces are. If you have a client who wants a huge bulbous centerpiece of grand proportions, then you're going to need the largest table you can muster to, to support that. And that's where like a designer comes in and you say, all right, I need a 150 inch round <laughs> they want it to look like the un like the ones that like a conference style that, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i actually get a lot of requests for that style setup in rectangular rooms yeah. oh that's interesting so okay the the prop not the problem the the obstacle with that style of setup and we're talking about like a U, a connected long U that might sit like 80 to 100 people, right? All those rectangular tables right. going like that. If I have a client who actually wants that setup with no breaks in between the rectangular tables that have been edged together, then I'm going to recommend beefing up the, the service staff because it takes longer for them to walk around and in. Right. Riveting stuff, Doug. Riveting. <laughs> but that's the stuff that, that gets me going. <laughs> you know, when I had Steve Frost from mm -hmm. Stanford Tent, I had heard the name subfloor, but I didn't really yeah. know what it was. And he said, well, I mean, you have to have a subfloor to, to hold it, like, like as if you're building an extension on someone's house. So I like all these, you know, detailed yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, Steve and I, uh, I actually worked with one of his colleagues, Mike, but we probably one of the crowning achievements of my career was putting a Stanford tent, a, a clear top tent over an heirloom apple orchard. 
explain that. I mean, describe that the best. Well, I have, as, as you know, I do a lot of private property tented events. That would be, I would say our niche, but this particular property later in life couple, they've already had children, but they just never got married. So this beautiful house. And she said, I've always had a dream of eating under the stars in our apple orchard. So, you know, we had to obviously have a rain plan, but she wanted it as true to eating under the stars as possible. So literally in an apple orchard, literally the trees were under the tent. Oh, that's what I meant by describing it. Okay. Right. Right. And mind you, there's a pond. They could park their truck, a pond, and then the apple orchard where they had these tiny little two feet walkways on either end of the pond to walk these huge beams. At one point in time, my tent rep looked at me and said, I think I might've not charged enough for the amount of labor that we have to do for this, but we're doing it. <laughs> it, it definitely, it took them longer than expected, but they did such a good job. They had to carry each individual beam uh, over through, through the side of the pond. And we erected this huge clear top pavilion over 16 apple trees. So how tall was that? Now that you said it's real trees. Yeah, um, I believe it was 18 to 20 feet high. I, I may be completely wrong in that, but it was, it was quite high. You can see some pictures of it on my Instagram and on our website. So what it, made you come up with that idea of literally having the apple trees inside? Our bride was really adamant that she wanted to have dinner up there. And of course- So that was her idea? It was her idea to have dinner up there. Okay. And me being the project manager that I am, I, I have to anticipate anything that could go wrong. And obviously rain is the biggest thing. And there was no other place to move the dinner to. Plus she really wanted to eat there. So we, we had to bring in a tent and the stars were a big part of what she wanted. Unfortunately, you know, with a clear top tent, it's not quite clear, but it, it was actually really lovely with all the, the lights. And we had these fairy candles dangling and it reflected back up to the top of the tent and it still gave that illusion it, it was really beautiful it was really beautiful but my point being is that the tent guys had to come in when we are talking about subflooring um and test for test for slate and shale underneath because this was in north salem which i don't know if you've ever been but it, the entire town is basically on rock so we had to be sure that we could go down deep enough Tell me about your theater background. Growing up, I was a dancer and a singer, and that's all I wanted for myself in life. From the time you were how old? Um, right after I went through my waitressing phase. When I was six years old, all I wanted to do was be a waitress at Friendly's. Like all these beautiful teenage girls had these really bouncy ponytails and a visor. And <laughs> That's all I wanted in life. I wanted to serve footlong hot dogs, strawberry fraps, and just live the friendly's life. I think that's like where I got my start in hospitality, but I, I would pretend to be a server at dinners all the time. And then I would, I would say at the end, where's my tip to my grandparents. <laughs> um, so when I grew out of that, my mom put me in dance class. And then enter the Little Mermaid soundtrack that I listened to on constant repeat. Oh, yeah. And that's really how I learned how to sing. That is a great score, by the way. I love that score. Oh, most of the, the Disney, that era, that like Little Mermaid, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Aladdin. Aladdin. Yeah. I really was brought up on, on those movies and learned a lot about 
singing <laughs> through those those movies. But then, I, you know, I went through high school and did a ton of musical theater, and that's all I wanted to do. I, I just I, I was in voice lessons and dance lessons, and um, I. I went to undergrad. I had to go to a state school for, I was a horrible student in high school because I was always in the chorus room or a dance class. I never cared at all to do a math problem or study for any test. Right. But I did get into Central Connecticut State and I went for a theater education. I actually did really, really well in college. I was on honor roll all the time. And I think that the style of learning that college afforded me was what I needed because I had control of how I organized my schedule. Instead of somebody telling me, this is your schedule and this is how you're going to do it. I was able to plan my day. I could pick my classes, what times I wanted to do them. And I did really well in college. Then I went to American Musical Dramatic Academy. I moved out of my college apartment the day after I graduated and headed off to the big city. I started in a summer semester. I just wanted to be on Broadway as fast as humanly possible. They have a musical theater program and they have a drama program. I was in the musical theater program. They spit me out into the audition world and I was a callback kid. I got all the way to huge national tours. It was me and another girl all the time. Usually the same one. I forget her name. She was blonde and beautiful and blue eyed and I'm, you know, redhead freckles and I get the flush as you can see. Like, But anyways, I did the thing. I did the musical theater thing. I was waking up at 5 a.m. auditioning. But of course, when that, you know, when that's your life in New York, you're also going to be a server because the, the flexibility is there. You can say, I'm sorry, I can't work next week. I'm going, I'm going on tour. I mean, it's a natural fit. I mean, th- that should be spoken. I don't know if anybody's ever verbalized it. Uh, Bill Coyne maybe talked about it, but yeah. the idea that to be an actor in New York, all the auditions are during the week, during the day, and catering is yeah. in the evenings and on weekends. So it's a perfect fit. I mean, long story short is I had a bad break in my foot and walked around on a broken foot for a year, which really took my momentum for auditioning down. And after foot surgery, just really just in like a full-time server position, I worked at a Bobby Flay restaurant. It was really cushy. I had health insurance. Mesa Grill, right? Yep. Okay. Wonderful New York City institution that unfortunately, again, they paid paradise and put up a a bank or something like that. (laughs) I think we were to remake that song. Pay paradise (laughs) and put up a bank. Yeah, they really just have been <laughs> taking down my favorite New York City places one by one. But through that job, I was connected to someone at Housing Works that was looking for somebody to run the catering department. But what we were talking about last time is how closely connected theater is to producing an event right. and how much of my theater background I take into producing an event. It really is one of the greatest reasons why I consider myself to be great at my job. You you are putting on a production when you are producing a wedding. Yeah. I think I gave you my quote from Kate Edmonds. I love Kate. <laughs> she said producing a wedding is like putting on a Broadway show with no dress rehearsal. Yeah. You only get one chance to do it. So you have to be so very prepared. You have to anticipate any obstacle that might happen. You have the audience who are obviously the guests. Mm-hmm. You have the actors who are the bride and the groom and the, the bridal party. 
you have the support staff or the, the orchestra, if you will, in the backstage, which would be your catering team and your um, photographer, your coordination staff. And then you have the director, which I fancy myself to be in that position, Doug. All kidding aside, as the planner, you really have to have command of the room and you have to move from major moment to major moment. And you're really curating an experience for everyone involved. As you said last time that the director, once the show goes up, the director is another person sitting in the audience. He can't say, wait, stop, 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 back this up. Right. You can't back it up. Right. But one of the benefits of this not being theater is that I can. (laughs) If you see something happen, you can change it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the heavy lifting is really done before the actual day starts. Right. You have to have a rock solid timeline. You have to make sure that all of the players have reviewed it and understand the part that they played in it, even down to confirming with the bridal party and the family that they understand where they need to be and when they need to be there. That is so very important to have such a, a solid plan going into the day that it should be just like, okay, set it, forget it. Assuming that everybody has read the materials that I've put together for them. So they've read their script, right? They've practiced their lines. And you print this out for every server? I print this out for every vendor who then I do consider with the caliber of vendors that I want to work with mm-hmm. will then translate that to their team. So example, you're a band leader. I'm going to communicate with you my expectations of when we're going to do a dance set, when I'm going to need you to intro so-and-so to make such and such a speech. I'm going to tell you who they are, how they want to be announced, how their name is pronounced, and then what song. Right. And if I've done my job, I already know that. Exactly. Exactly. You know, backing it up, you and I at the very minimal, would be communicating at least six weeks prior to the event where I would send you what I would consider, you know, one of the final drafts of the timeline that includes the client's wishes, includes my experience and expertise on what I would then send to you and say, can you please review it? See if you have any opinions, issues, suggestions, or if it looks great to you. Once I have that confirmation, I'm considering you good to go follow up a couple more times. And I like to go over it in person when I see you at the event. But yes, the band would get their script or their timeline, the catering team, the photographer, the cinematographer, the florist, the florist needs to know when load in is when breakdown is when they need to have tables ready by ceremony, personal florals dropped off. That's what I mean when I say if everybody reads their script, which can sometimes be challenging. But yeah. it also means that you or someone from your staff is the first one there and the last one to leave. Absolutely. We begin our day on the wedding day, unless told up otherwise. I, I consider the wedding day just to be from start to finish. When the bride and groom wake up or the bride and bride or groom and groom wake up mm-hmm. and then go to bed. <laughs> That's, okay. That is a wedding day. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is a wedding day because your, your wedding doesn't, and this is what I say to a lot of people that call me and say, well, I'm not really sure I need a planner or a coordinator because our venue has one. Well, your venue is not there with you getting ready at your hotel that's not at your venue and they're not getting you into the car. They're not getting your details ready for your photographer at that point. Your wedding day does not start when you walk down the aisle or when you get to where your wedding is being hosted. Yes, there's a wedding day, but 
it's a wedding weekend. And so what many- happens if a place has their event producer or party planner? The difference is generally, and there are exceptions to this rule, yeah. but generally the venue coordinator or the event planner, however, whatever they're calling it at the venue mm-hmm. is there to ensure that the services that the bride and groom have purchased from them are delivered correctly. Oh, okay. Are the lights on? Did we have the chairs and the tables set up in the, in the way that we told them that we provide them? They play a integral part in food and beverage service as well as access to the facilities. There's a bridal suite and they know that bridal suite better than I do because they work in that bridal suite every single weekend. Right. right. So they're 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 there. They're there, they're there. They're there. They're there because they know that facility back and forth. And a lot of times, like when we work at Brooklyn Botanical Gardens or Blue Hill, we can't produce this event without them. That, that's their home and their house. Yeah. And we try to be as supportive as we can to them and what they need. And not we're not there to take over their expertise. But on the other hand, they don't necessarily know when the bride needs to be bustled. They may not provide the support of setting up an escort card table and all of the signage. And they haven't really been in discussions with the client about their design directions and the family dynamics that are happening where we need to keep so-and-so kind of distant from the other person and out of the same picture. Right. We're there to deal with that really personal minutia. Everyone is different. Every venue is different. And myself as a business owner who, yes, absolutely has my client's best interest in mind all the time. I also have to remember that these venues are my key to working there again. Right. So it's so important to be the person that that venue needs me to be while still having the the client's best, best interest. Whenever I talk to my musicians, I say, listen, if it, especially if it's, if it's mm-hmm. a place we've never been, here are the rules for this place. If you want to go get a soda, if you want to get, they want you to go in the back and, you know, squeeze the pump right. yourself. Uh, they don't want you waiting online with the guests oh. for whatever reason. You know, we may be wearing the same yeah. you know, tuxes dressed perfectly, but for some yeah. reason they don't want you to, you know, yeah. which is, which is fine, but know the rules. And I, it's like, if you go into someone's house and they say, take your shoes off at the door, it's like, you don't yeah. question it. It's like, you take your shoes off, you know, you're, yeah. you're in someone exactly. else's house. There are different venues that succeed at what they do. There are other venues that have their rules and may not necessarily live up to that potential and sometimes we do need to step in especially with catering i have a a huge catering background as well as a a lot of my team members have a very robust catering background and sometimes when we see for example no one's inviting anybody through a buffet or no one is taking active steps to clear a table i want to go back to that buffet conversation we were having i'm I'm literally picturing some of the weddings Mm -hmm. i've done with buffets and they, they want you to announce, you know, tables nine through 16, you know, and no. I like, oh, I hate that. No. There will never at one of my weddings, and I don't want to sound like a snob, but I find making announcements over the microphone for things like that might lend to the fact that they're understaffed. To me, it always sounds like clean up on aisle five. Yeah, exactly. I will go up and I will invite people to a buffet personally. It's that extra little touch of customer service that just adds to that guest's experience that day. 
to know that they were personally touched by someone in charge. <laughs> that sounds weird, but you know, but <laughs> <personal> <laughs> to them, um, even though it's not their day really adds to their experience. Like even down to like, it's beginning of a ceremony when people are arriving and then nobody knows if they can like go and sit down at the ceremonies. Thank you. There's, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. There's a, there's a huge difference between your invite time and your ceremony start time. Right. Prelude starts at invite time. So if it says two o'clock, that's when prelude starts. That's when people are coming in. Oh, that's what you call it. Yeah. You call prelude. it prelude. And then 15 minutes, half hour later, when we know that we have all the key players in the room, grandma's not stuck at the hotel. <laughs> no time. Usually that's a 15, 20 minutes, sometimes even half hour if you're in the Hudson Valley and you're waiting for shuttles to get down these old country roads. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So I usually do a lot, at least 45 minutes, if not an hour for the ceremony. And the client needs to understand that because your invite says two o'clock doesn't mean your ceremony is at two o'clock or five o'clock or whatever time. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but. Um, no, it does. And it also adds something to my repertoire, the, the word prelude. I call it prelude. The music that happens prior to me going up to the instrumentalist and say, okay, we're ready. I'll give you the cue. Yeah. Okay, this is the cue. Right, <laughs> and, exactly. And, and the violin is just like, okay, still still playing and like giving me the wink. And Let me ask you a question that I've never asked anybody. What sure. time do you want the band completely set up I need the band sound checked and done setting up by the time the ceremony starts. You, no matter what, you cannot do anything during the ceremony, right? So right. If, if your ceremony is outside, but the band is setting up in the barn that's closed off to guests and the guests won't even see that band for another hour and a half because we have a ceremony and a cocktail hour. Mm -hmm. If, if the band leader promises me up and down that their sound check won't be heard during cocktail hour, Okay, but we cannot sound check, do any setting up, do any movement of any kind during the ceremony. Am I asking my drummer to come two and a half hours early to do the sound check before the ceremony? And then what does he do for two hours? Doug, in, I hope, in an apple orchard. I hope that doesn't sound bad, but that's not my problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Pay them more. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's worth discussing because yeah and and i would understand if you were to say that okay amanda if you want that to happen then i need an extra 200 dollars for my drummer then i can go and have that conversation with my client of you know if we if yeah. we you know but it's really up to the band leader to build that in right to know, to know this right yeah and, and I would say most band leaders and you yourself, because you just brought it up, have that in mind that, yeah. and, and know that they're not going to be sound checking during a ceremony. And right. you'll have that information from me in your timeline. Okay, ceremonies at this time, completely silent. That's the time to go and, you know. Read a book. Do your daily abrutions. Whatever you need to do. <laughs> Listen to the Wedding Wisdom <laughs> podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, let's talk about the union studio. Yeah, so many people ask me, well, how did you come up with a union studio? Did you used to live on like Union Street? Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that it's a union is a wedding and that's how I came up with the union studio. A lot of things in New York that start with like the Union Square Cafe, the Union Club. There's, right. And there's a lot of things called like Studio 450s. So a lot of things are connected with both words. 
Right. That's well, what I'm I, saying. It could possibly you know, be. I mean, I'm probably making this up, Doug, mm-hmm. but let me go with this. You go. Wouldn't you say that ultimately a long, long time ago, places like the that Union Square was because people gathered there? Mm-hmm. Or like Union Station joined trains and different tributaries and lines. I just want I chose 2020, the best year ever to rebrand and launch a new a new brand and a new website. It's going really well. I'm from New England, so I got my sarcasm card very young. Um, <laughs> but I'm really happy with the Union Studio. It was a rebrand and a renaming that I started thinking about about 2 years ago when, you know, we were producing some really lovely weddings and each year just kept getting better. And I kept accumulating these amazing team members that really I would be nowhere without. And I was having a really hard time when I was having conversations with clients who I might say, you know, I think Josh is a really great day of coordinator for you. I think I'm going to pair him with you. He's fantastic. If for some reason I wasn't available and the client would say, but isn't this by Amanda event studio? So that was the number one reason why I needed to figure out a more encompassing name. And I'm known for sending emails to my clients called the state of your union. And that's how I came to the union studio. And I, I feel really good about it. And it's, it's been received really well, but it was the wrong year to dissolve an old EIN and start a new one. So I wasn't eligible for any of the PPPs or anything like that because I had no history on the new. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm very glad to have been a kept woman this year. Because your husband owns, interestingly enough. My husband is a partner in a funeral home. He is a funeral director. I mean, I don't mean to make light of the situation, but he has some job security right now. Yes. Yeah. And he has been incredibly supportive during this time and it's allowed me to continue on because even though i'm not doing weddings right now i'm not producing weddings right i have rescheduled over 20 weddings i'm taking on new clients or talking to prospective new clients there's not a whole lot of like actual bites there and like you know because everybody's still a little nervous to sign there's still you know eight hours of work at least in a day to do so it's not like i can even go and get another job because I'm still doing my job just with no income right now. I mean, we're not the only ones in this situation. I think the entirety of all of the United States is in the same boat, but we hope, I hope everybody comes out on the other side of that. We're all in, you know, know, it's funny. We talked a lot about this before, but we haven't even mentioned it that you happen to live four hours North of the city in Utica, New York. I do. Well, I'm a Brooklyn girl through and through. I lived there for 20 years, but when I met my husband, you know, he's attached to a building here and I, I can be anywhere and and do my job. Right. Um, So I moved my primary residence up to Utica, New York, which has been quite the culture shock and has also caused me to gain a lot of weight because the food up here (laughs) is so good. But it's also afforded me the ability to work in the Hudson Valley Catskills and the Adirondacks because it's a clear shot. I mean, I'm in Westchester. I'm literally by the Tappan Zee Bridge. Like Poughkeepsie is like an hour and a half, two hours from me. It's the same hour and a half, two hours from you, right? Yeah. It's about two hours to Hudson. Mm-hmm. 
an hour and a half to Saratoga, which is a huge wedding. The capital region and Saratoga is a great up and coming wedding area and region. It's funny, I know Saratoga very well because my brother and sister went to Skidmore. I got married in Saratoga. It really is a really great place to host a wedding. There's so much accommodation. There's so much to do. There's so much, you know, we take a lot of pride in being a New York state business. There's so much New York history in Saratoga. Yeah. It's a really great place to, to host an event. But yeah, we're, we're uh, an hour and a half from Saratoga, about two hours from Hudson, which is a huge wedding metropolis. Yeah. Um, then we, Newburgh and Poughkeepsie, New Paltz area, we're about three hours away from um, in Utica. But I plan, you know, during normal circumstances, I'm in the city every other week or every two weeks. So on the way down and the way up, I'm the feet on the ground at venues for my clients who either live in the city, you know, and can't get there. Um, I also have team members who live in Cooperstown, Albany, and the Hamptons. So we're able to really cover a wide range of of New York State. I think we discussed last time that people don't realize how big New York State is. It's huge. It's its own little country. I'm the Hamptons to Buffalo. It's got to be 10 hours, right? At least. Yeah, New York is, is huge. It's huge. I, I never knew it. I grew up in Connecticut. And, yeah. um, you know, I think Connecticut's huge. Seriously, if I get a call and they say, I just got a call the other day and they said that they're getting married on the water at a, a yacht club on the water in Old Saybrook, probably. Exactly. Yeah. What would you be doing right now on a normal Saturday? Now, granted, January 2nd wow. is a Saturday. Yeah. Just happens to be on a Saturday this year, but we'd all maybe be doing New Year's Eve gigs. We wouldn't be working on yeah. this Saturday or maybe next Saturday. Yeah, I, my season is usually May, June, and then August, September, October. This year is the first year I have two weddings in July. Usually, I mean, July is usually very, very thin in regards to weddings. See, when you're dealing with indoors, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but I, th I think there's still people who just don't want to. I got married on July 3rd, and it was hot, and we got married indoors. But it's also, I think, just a hard time for people. People are on vacation. Kids yeah. just got out And of there's school. a lot of stuff. Right, right. Um, in summer, especially yeah. if I used to have a very Jewish clientele, suburban Jewish, you know, not mm -hmm. Orthodox or anything like that. And yeah, yeah. the kids would all be in camp, you know, from late June mm -hmm. to camp. early August. Yeah. And then school starting. It's yeah. like, so they have to fit in. Like these temples have to, these people who have to deal with bar mitzvahs, they get the dates like three years in advance sometimes, two years in advance. Oh, yeah. That's a whole nother yeah. world. You actually should talk to my friend Nancy from Shimmer Events who specializes oh, really? in this. Yeah. She, uh, I, I told her one time, I was like, I don't know how you do it. Because you also like, you know, the theme work. I love a good theme. But like the theme work in a mitzvah is intense. Like down to every candy bar and water bottle and... You know, everything is branded. Uh, something great that came out of the pandemic is that I've banded together with four other industry folk. Three are planners and one is a photographer. We actually, I, put, I had put together a tour of Hudson Valley venues with them, for them on March 10th. And we all met, um, we had one person 
Um, so three days before like ultimate shutdown, we met each other for the first time and drove around Hudson Valley together. And so from there, we started to become like a Zoom support group. We have titled ourselves, We Will Gather, because we will gather again. <laughs> and we're all planners and one photographer. And I've already gotten so much out of this group. And we really believe in community over competition because a lot of people will say, well, you're all planners. Why are you working together? But we're so different from each other and have just like helped each other so much. I literally don't know the name of any band leaders. I know every singer in New York. I don't know the names of my competition. I don't care. But planners, even the, the super luxury ones that go to engage summits, they talk about they talk about supporting each other. It's been really lovely having people that are going through the scene. But someone might have an idea that you hadn't thought of like wording to put in the contract or not put in their contract. Yeah, we all have I mean it was it was a tough go of it at the beginning of the pandemic. Me personally, I had two almost lawsuits because people thought that I should just give them their money back after I've already done a lot of work. And also COVID was not my fault, but it's also not their fault. But they felt we could go down that hole. But yeah, that's, that's horrible. It was really horrible. It was a very, very stressful time in owning a business. But having that support system to say like, I don't know what to do right now. I'm thinking about writing back this. It's just a, a really great sounding board for a very difficult time. And we all have different strengths in marketing or finances and planning and software. Like I'm the gadget girl of the group. Like I have all the softwares. I know how to link Facebook to Zoom and do all that stuff. And Rochelle is really good at Instagram. So- Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's good. Nancy, the mitzvah, and she does weddings too. She does corporate events and, and everything, but she has a strong, she used to work on Wall Street. And then there's uh, Georgie, who's the British photographer, who is also an actress. And she's been doing really fun stuff on Instagram called COVID Carpool, where she plays different characters like dealing with COVID. And then there's Greta, who um, of Nova Events, she was a, a Brooklyn-based planner who moved to Miami and We've been able to be there for her for her transition to a Florida planner who also still travels back up here. So those are the core members there. Can I join? <laughs> Can you join? Sure. Um, <laughs> what we do is actually we, we like to have people visit and talk to us about experience. We do a lot of IG lives, a lot of Zooms and coffee talks posts and stories so I'll, I'll connect you with the ladies and well amanda i cannot thank you enough for doing this again where is riley that i don't hear him barking at all <laughs> there's no mailman outside. oh okay. <laughs> yeah riley has a coat fetish he just loves to sleep on coats what i didn't do last time that i did this time is that i spread out my big window cover so he's like oh, oh. See, I wanted people to hear you asked Riley. And delivered. Okay. <laughs> All right, but, Doug, thank you so much. Thank you. What do you have at quarter to three? I have a, a call with a client. They were going to host at their new property and they've had to make the hard decision to sell their property. Oh. So we have all of the vendors booked. So we have to figure out a venue for them. Good luck with that one. Thank you. Thanks for spending your Saturday with me. Thank you, Doug. Let me know when it's when it's uh, edited. Okay, I will. Absolutely. When I'm, I'm launching. Okay. All right. All right. Bye bye. 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 Thanks so much to my new best friend, Amanda O'Callaghan, who 
as you might have guessed, had to repeat her appearance because the dog ate my homework again. Actually, my computer swallowed my Zoom, but she was kind enough to come back and do it again. That's why I said again. Um, you can follow Amanda at The Union Studio NYC, all one word. And that gorgeous website she was talking about is at theunionstudio.com. As usual, you can find me at dougwintersmusic.com. On Instagram, I'm at dougwintersinc. Everybody, please stay safe, stay strong, follow the doctors, because I really, truly want to get back to work. Have a terrific weekend. We've got some great guests coming up, and I will see you next week. Bye-bye now.